are, uh, we are on the home stretch of our relational formation series. This is the second last sermon. We've been at this since the fall. And so we're kind of landing the plane now. And uh, for the last time we were here in, uh, in, this, uh, in this place, we talked about what does it look like to receive love? What does that take? How do we receive God's love? And I don't know about you, but as, like, as a religious person, I struggle with like, being religious and trying to earn God's love a lot. Receiving is actually way trickier than it sounds because it requires this really awkward thing called giving up control. And it's weird to receive a gift sometimes. I don't know about you, but it's like a, it's a vulnerable thing to be given a gift. And we were trying to unpack that two weeks ago. I thought it was great, but uh, the, the next logical thing out of that is like, okay, so we've received this free gift. What does giving look like? So today we're gonna talk about what, what, how, why, does, why is faith required to give? Why is it to give of ourselves freely? Why does that take faith? So uh, basically, the, 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 the spoiler alert is the same thing. You have to relinquish control, right? And if you kind of think about it, receiving requires this open-handed posture, and so does giving. It's this quite vulnerable space where you're just giving free gifts and receiving free gifts. And I, I consistently underestimate how uh, complicated I make that posture of freely giving and receiving. So we're going to unpack that today. Because uh, it's really important. So there's this story that I wanted to start off with that I haven't shared from the stage or whatever because, I don't know, I just wanted to let some time pass because it, it has the tendency of maybe sounding like I'm trying to pump my tires a little bit. But it works too well. And it was a really, really impactful experience in my life that I wanted to share with you. So I think about a year ago, uh, some of you uh, may remember that uh, I had this like big red truck like a, two years ago or so. And I loved that truck. It was, it was so fun. I got it after my first job, and um, I just, oh, I loved that thing. It had leather interior, had a subwoofer in it, it was raised. What else can I tell you about it? I loved that thing. And um, about a year or two into owning it, I got this really, st- I got this like thorn in my side being like, you need to give your truck away. I was like, oh, shoot. So naturally, what I did was I ignored that for about a year. And I uh, was like, no, that's silly. You know, you know what happened was is I, there was a sermon we had at EMV, like, I don't know, around that time that was on giving. We had like a little money series. And at the end of this series, I was so convicted that like, oh, man, I worship my possessions sometimes. And I'm like, well, what's my nicest thing? I'm like, for sure that thing. It's like the only thing I own. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but I just felt this little thorn in my side. Like, this, you got to give this thing away. So I ignored it. And then I started to feel my hands, like, metaphorically, close on it. Do you know that feeling where it's like, this is mine? You know, I turn into Smeagol a little bit. And you're like, this is my own thing. And it became this uh, uh, precious thing to me that didn't, like, belong. And I'm like, shoot, now I'm ignoring it and ignoring this feeling. And now I'm, I don't like it anymore. And I would walk up to it. And I'm like, don't like it. <laughs> and it's, my truck got ruined. <laughs> my thing that I loved. So what was really weird is I felt like God told me to, like, who to give it to. He dropped this name in my head. And it's this guy that none of you know who's just one of my favorite people in the whole world. He just served Jesus with his whole heart and life. And I'm like, oh, he really deserves it too, eh? Shoot. And so what I did was is I didn't want to be... Uh, I, I, I kind of did a little side thing where I called that guy's best friend. 
okay? I called that guy's best friend, and I was like, okay, can you help me work this through? Because I need to know if there's someone who, like, can you just fill me in on whether this would be good news, and I would trust you to never tell him if it wasn't, <laughs> do you know what I mean? So I worked it through with his best friend, and I tell him, I feel like I'm supposed to give, you know, your best friend my truck. And he's like, you've got to be kidding me. He might have dropped an F-bomb or two. I was like, uh, he was like freaking out on the other side of the phone. I'm like, what, what, what? And he's like, that guy who you're thinking of giving your truck to called me two hours ago and said, hey, can you pray with me? Because I really need God to give me a truck. <laughs> I was hoping it was going to be like, oh, no, man, he just bought a car last week. He's fine, you know. And I'm like, well, now I have to do it. So, you know, he bought a one-way plane ticket, and I handed him the keys, and I just watched my truck drive away. And, it, like, a little single tear rolled down my cheek. But it was like this, it was this, such a cool moment of, I wasn't enslaved to anything for, like, half a second. Do you know what I, I don't know if you know that feeling where I, like, I am unstoppable right now. God could tell me to do anything, and I'd do it. And it, I, I'll never forget that feeling of like giving freely. I'll just never forget that. So maybe don't spread that story around because if you don't hear me unpack it fully, it might sound like I, do you know what I'm saying? So I'm trusting you with that story because it's a, it's a tricky one. I'm not saying you should all give your stuff away. But for me, God's really taught me something through that. And I'll never forget it. So uh, I want to put Matthew 10 up there. And I'm going to read the ESV version because it uses the word pay instead of it uses the word pay, which I liked. This is Jesus speaking. He says, And proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying. Give without pay. Ah, I love that. Give without pay. So why is this such an important aspect of the kingdom? There, we can't pay for anything. You, you have to give without needing anything back. That's what the kingdom of God is built on, is this concept of free gifts, receiving them and also giving them away. And uh, scripture is super committed to this idea that you were given a free gift of salvation. Like Paul especially harps on this. You didn't do that. That was a free gift available to you to receive. You've got to have a posture like this, right? That's what called receiving Jesus is. Cool. But it is, you didn't do that. The scripture is so committed. It's all over the place. I want to read the most, the one where, you know, Paul harps on it the most, just so that we're all on the same page. This is Ephesians 2, uh, 1 to 10 from the NIV. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and the ruler of this kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them, at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace, and grace alone, you have been saved. And God raises us up with Christ and, and, is seated, and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming age, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. 
And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Are you getting the picture? Over and over again. I did it. (laughs) I, being God, did that for you so you can't boast. So committed to this idea that it's not us. So I'll be honest with you. I was, for a long time, confused as to why this was so important. I'll just be real. It seemed so, like, over, almost overstated. And then people get really, really defensive. Like, people died for this concept that you're saved by grace alone, like our forefathers in the faith. Like, this is a big deal. And sometimes you meet Bible nerds that, you know, if you ever talk about anything that you did that might have made God happy, they're like, whoa, 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 you know, careful, because God did that. And I used to get kind of annoyed by it. I'm like, okay, I get it. I get it. It was him. Fine. Like, just chill. <laughs> I just, I don't know. It was, um, and then I had this weird idea that God was like this glory hog. You know, it's like he just really wants to make sure that it was him, you know. And I feel like um, a bunch of us were at a wedding last night. It was an awesome wedding. And kind of what I pictured God as was like the father of the bride who like maybe paid for the whole wedding or whatever. Just like is walking around the wedding. And like as you're eating the food he paid for, it was like, that was me. That was me, right? <laughs> that was me. I paid for that. That was me. Then makes a speech and is like, hey, I paid for all this just so you know. You know like that's what I pictured God as. It'd be so awkward. Uh, as you're fork, you're like, I know. Like, should I, do you want me to go? Like, geez. But that's my, that was my image. And uh, I, here's why, here's why I feel, so that's not a picture of God. We all know that that's not what God's doing. He's not that insecure, you know, about us just really wanting to know who paid for the food. He's not that insecure. So why then is it so important that it's a free gift? Uh, I'll just say it and then I'll, I'll unpack it. Freely giving is the in- initiation of all relationships. It all starts with, you know, what do we call it in dating? You put yourself out there, right? Like it's just this free, like, I don't know if I'm going to get any back from this, but it's the beginning of every relationship. Uh, I choose you, then you choose me. It's this free thing. Um, Tyler, you told me a story one time about Langara. Uh, was, maybe it was in your first semester or whatever. He... He stands at the glass door, and he's like, you know, going through, and then realizes there's someone coming up behind him. So he holds the door open for this girl, and she stops and says, no, 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 no. I don't, no, what was it? I don't think so, right? Can you believe that? Like, holding a door open, she's like, I don't think so. Like, whoa, whoa, that's scary. (laughs) Like, I get it. Like, you don't want to, you don't want to owe anyone anything, but wow. But it's this, but getting, like, getting given a free gift, like, forces you to give up control in this vulnerable way that is kind of uncomfortable. Like, that's extreme, you know, in those glass doors out there, like, chill. But we do it all the time, where it's like, okay, whoa, it's a little much. And so we just tone God down and the free gift, we make him seem like a glory hog, or we just go, oh, I want to dull this down, because it actually makes me feel super exposed, when you're being given something that you don't deserve. So why does he keep forcing us to give up control in all these things? Well, I think it's because it requires trust on our part. Now we actually have to trust something. And um, I've been thinking about this for the last little bit. If you were to measure how close you are with someone, what word would you use to, if you had to measure it, it's a weird thing to measure, but if you had to measure your closeness with someone, 
how would you measure it? And I think you'd measure your closeness with another person by how much you trust them. You know, like there's some people that you would give the keys to your house to and some that you wouldn't. And the, that's a measure of closeness, right? So it's kind of the metric of relationship. And it's a scary thing to give someone trust because they can hurt you, right? To actually trust someone in that space. I think that's one of the reasons why we don't want to have the door held open for us is because like, I don't know if I trust you with my heart. I don't know if I trust you with the ability to hurt me. Like if you start dating someone, it's like you're kind of like, you know, we just at this wedding yesterday and people are giving vows to each other. And I was like, you guys just gave permission to each other to really hurt each other if you wanted to. It's a scary thing. Like you now have the ability to destroy me. <laughs> like you can really hurt me now. And now we're really close. And this this strange, you want it so bad, but wow, it's scary thing that happens. And God's like, that's the same with me, by the way. It's the same thing with me. Our, our relationship to Christ, the marriage, the marriage metaphors are all over the place. You can look for them in scripture. It's so beautiful. Oh, I was actually at but two weddings in a row, last two weekends. The one before this one, last Saturday, man, this was cool. My buddy Brandon gets up there. He's, uh, he's the tech guy for Westside Church downtown. And I didn't know anyone at this wedding except him. Uh, but I'm there sitting, sitting by myself, and uh, I don't know anyone at this wedding, but I really love this guy. He loves Jesus so much. I just deeply respect him. And before the wedding starts, he comes out in front of everybody, and he, and he literally preaches a sermon for, for like five minutes, to the whole crowd, just him saying, don't see us, see Jesus in what's about to happen right now. And I'm like, oh man, you're the man. Like I was just, this is so cool. And then she, she comes out of the back door and you're like, oh, that's kind of me. And you're like, oh, and then the bride of Christ and like, it's all free gifts. And there's like this beautiful, he just framed the marriage and the gospel for all of us. Oh, and then we sing, it is well, and I'm like, oh, I'm crying by myself in the corner of this wedding. <laughs> Nobody knows me. <clears throat> but it was so cool. So it forces you to trust. Cool. So we unpack that. Now let's put up verse 10 of that, you know, the Ephesians verse that we just read. You can put up verse 10, Mitch. Oh, yeah, it's there. Good, thanks. <clears throat> um. It says this, for we, for we are, like, so after all the, no one can boast, it's a free gift, blah, blah, blah. It says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in, for us in advance to do. So it feels like a little, like, skirt at the end. You know, it's like a little, what? There at the end, I'm like, wait, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. What do you mean good works? I thought this was all about you, and there's so much tension in that. So we got to unpack that a little bit. So first of all, we should say, now we, you know, now we get to give in response to that. But notice how it says, created in Christ to do good works. So we need to love in the same way. It's basically what it's saying. And we need to be like Christ. You gotta give freely just as he gave you, which was the, the last nine verses were about or whatever it was. You're created in Christ to love other people in the exact same way. And you're freed up to do so. And you just, you're just free now to do that. Congratulations. It's quite simple really hard. So I just think we're not so good at this whole I don't need payment thing. That's what I'm not good at. It. I want all kinds of payment when I give away. So of course I'm not so shallow that I want like monetary payment. 
Sorry to all the televangelists in the room. I apologize. But it's like, I don't, I, we're not that like, okay, well, I'm going to give to you, so, you know, pay me for all this stuff. That's really bizarre. But we write other kinds of invoices in our hearts, if you know what I mean. I, think, I write all kinds of invoices that aren't monetary. I don't want money back. That's so simple, and I know that's bad. But I want a whole bunch of other things back from you, from God, and I'm just writing invoices all over the place when I give away freely. So I, I want to just unpack to you like my, my three favorite invoices <laughs> that I write kind of secretly that maybe, maybe you can resonate with me in some of them. So here's why I think that this, this is... Uh, so, okay, so if the enemy's goal is to rob us of relationship with God and others, I think he has this super handy trick, especially with religious folks, where he'll say... He, he just has to turn the whole thing into a business. He just has to turn the whole thing into transactions. It's not, I choose you, then you choose me. It's, I do something, then you owe me. That's called the business world, right? You exchange money for goods and services. That's a great thing. But relationships is different. You know, like we have this monetary system because it's in, in lieu of trust, right? Money is in lieu of trust. That's what it is. We can't trust people, so we have to have this thing called currency. It's really, really oversimplistic, but in a way, it's like there's the business world, and then there's like a family, and those are two different things, at least, you know, on the surface level. So I think the enemy often tries to just make my relationship with God and with other people transactional, turn it into a business. And the thing about that is, is it makes so much sense a lot of the time, and it doesn't really, it's actually kind of helpful to think about relationships as a business, and it's kind of clear and cut and dry, and we're used to paying for things, and then, but that's not how families work. Like, I'm, I'm your parents probably didn't do that. You know, how, you know how much you owe your parents? Even money, like, it's just ridiculous. Like, we all know that families don't work that way, and yet we live that way a lot. So, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll unpack, I'll unpack my, 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 my three favorite invoices that I write. <clears throat> the first one, First kind of payment that I demand of other people in God that robs me of freely giving is uh, results. And it just sounds like, you know, what does it sound like? It sounds like, this better work, God. <laughs> like, I'll give it. Like, I'll give it, but this better work. And you don't, you don't really even realize what that little thing just did to the relationship. I don't. It doesn't seem all that wrong to expect it to work. You know, it'd be nice. But there's something in my heart that goes, okay, I'll give my truck away, but it better be like, he better do something with it that's really meaningful. <laughs> like, he better deserve it. And I, all of a sudden, the whole thing's ruined, right? All of a sudden, it's all ruined. By the way, <laughs> this is the reason why he wanted the truck. He's like, I just want to do youth ministry, and I need a car. And also, um, our church has this trailer we have to tow to church, and no one wants to do it, so I want to do it. Little did I know we were going to be towing a trailer like a year later. I could really use that truck right now. <laughs> Shoot. But I didn't know we were moving to Langara. Um, but uh, but it, like if it needed to be that, now it's all backwards again. And now I'm kind of getting something out of it. And I'm like, all right, fine. You deserve it. Fine. Here, have it. And it stops being the free gift thing. So I think we do this with, uh, I, so the number one thing I do this with is with outreach. Like this better work, right? Like, if I'm going to give my time 
to reaching out to people who don't know Jesus and explaining that to them, like, it better not be awkward, for sure not awkward, right? That's been on my invoice, number one stipulation, not awkward. Uh, there's got to be some fruit, like sometime, please. You know, that's another good one. I have lots. Well, I wrote them all down. Oh, it's got to be an amazing experience. <laughs> like, I just got to feel incredible the whole time while I'm doing it. And these are all not bad things, but they become invoices to God that, like, rob us of our, like, ability to just give the thing away. Like, I'm going to give you this moment. It's not mine because you, you freely gave me a heck of a lot more than I'm giving you right now. I, ah, and we write these invoices. Another one of my favorites is uh, fulfilled promises. So maybe I'll really delay gratification. Maybe I really, I won't need immediate results, all right? I don't need to feel amazing the whole time, but in the long term, this better be worth it. I better be famous or uh, I don't know what. All these long-term promises that we, that we make. And I often idolize things that God has told me which is weird because it seems okay to idolize things God told me. Like he told me them. Like I've got a whole bunch of promises in my heart for what I hope happens in this city and this campus and like, that I'm like pretty convinced that I'm gonna be, I'll just, I'm gonna be a part of it. You know what I mean? I feel like God's promised me some stuff. Some big stuff that my heart is, I'm literally anchoring my whole life around some of these promises that God's given me not just alone by myself. It's just like the way my life's headed and the people around me being like, Jonathan, this is where you're going. This is what you're doing. And I'm like, wow, cool. Thanks. Love this. This is amazing. But I can very easily in that space being like, all right, God, you told me this thing. Now that better happen. And if I don't start seeing signs of it, which is all arbitrary, right? Like, how do you know? But if I don't start seeing signs of this, this is going to start to affect me negatively. And it's not a I'm no longer, it's not a gift to follow him anymore. Now I like need something from him again. And it became a transaction somehow. So, so sneaky. Because he, I feel like he's told me these things. And of course, the example of this in scripture, which if you've hung out with me at all any time in the last couple months, I've probably brought up Abraham and Isaac because it's like just really impacting me, this story. But the idea that God would say, I'm going to start a rescue plan for the whole world with you, Abraham, right? Which worked and is working. Uh... And he's like, that's the promise I gave you. All right, Abraham gets this promise. Now the promise starts to take form in like a fleshly kind of way called Isaac, his son. That was like a total miracle. He wasn't supposed to be able to have kids. And then in that moment, God's like, okay, you can't worship Isaac. You still have to trust me. And as soon as a promise starts to take form, we end up like worshiping it and needing it and like idolizing it. And then God's like, I'm going to need you to sacrifice that. I have, I'm going to need you to sacrifice the promise I gave, or at least the, exp, the first expression of the promise I gave you. That's, we have a really hard time doing that, or at least I do, of going, wow, I would put on the back burner the expressions of what I feel like you've called me to do. And he marches up this mountain, and I just, the moment where Isaac like catches on the fact that there's like no sacrifice, then they're marching up the mountain, and he's like, where's the goat? Do you know what I mean? And I love Abraham's response. He's like, the Lord will provide the sacrifice. Isn't that so profound? It's not, he's not even like, it's you. <laughs> he says, the Lord will provide. And if it has to be you, fine. Because Abraham knows, I think in that moment, that Isaac is easy for God. Isaac was nothing. The Red Sea, nothing. Jericho walls falling down, nothing. 
the miracle was the trust that all those people had in those moments. Like walk around the walls seven, what? But it's just this beautiful partnership between the Holy Spirit and his people. And he never does things magically. He's always longing to partner because then you get to give each other gifts of trust. Abraham just blows my mind. And his big, his big fame, is it, it, the big thing that they say about Abraham is not that he was a great dad and had a son. It's like, no, Abraham trusted God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That was his big thing. And that's why he's the father of the whole thing. Trust, it's only ever been that. Okay, third one is uh, proving something. I gotta prove something. If I'm gonna give, if I'm gonna give of my time and of my resources, the people around me or God better notice that. Like I gotta prove that I get it. Another sneaky one, right? These things are sneaky, but I'm, hope, I'm hoping they're helpful for you because I, I think I'm enslaved to all of them all the time. I'm, I, would, I need to prove something to God or others. And look how much I give. Look how much I give, everybody. See? See, I get it. And this is just people-pleasing. And I struggle with this a lot, personally. Uh, am I doing this out of response of relationship? Or am I doing this because I need you all to know it? I need you all to know that I care. I need you all to know that I'm... And now I need something again, and we're back to transaction. See how tricky freely giving is? Ah, so how do we get over this stuff? So I'll just say it and then I'll pack it. Another sentence here. Faith and trust in the sufficiency of Jesus, free invitation is how we're set free to give without pay. And the solution for all these seemingly tricky invoices that we write for freely giving, I don't have another, I don't have some amazing top trick for you. I don't have like, here's your three top tips for how to, not feel guilty for, or like how to not be, I don't know, selfish in your giving. It's like, no, no, no. I think I still have much to learn about how impactful the sufficiency of Christ is in my life. And I'm on a never-ending journey of the depth of that reality, of how powerful God really is, of how much he really knows me, of how little he needs from me for it all to be true, of how it's all proven already. So let's go through those three again. I feel like this is what, this is what uh, a Christ-centered understanding of salvation, knowing what Jesus did in the core of who I am, like it, this is what maybe that might sound like in your life with those three things. So for results, if you need to have results when you give, this is what it might say. It's like, you know what? I know my part to play. I know what part I have to play. And it's a joy. It's a joy to be part of the journey. And I might never see the results. I don't know, I love my family, my, my little nuclear family. We have loved a lot of people and we are not batting 500, 1,000. We're not batting 1,000. There's so many people have lived in our home for like the 30 years I've been alive and you love with these free gifts and I've seen my parents just for my whole life just lob free gifts and sometimes they're caught and it's the most beautiful thing in the whole world. And then they give it back. And you're like, whoa. But sometimes it just hits the chest and falls on the ground. But that's not up to me or them. And I think that's freedom. Do you know what I mean? I think that's what freedom looks like. You're just like, hey, yeah, I have a lot. <laughs> and you're not needing the, 
you're not needing them to. I think that's freedom. What about, uh, what about promises? I think it sounds like this is my hope is in you, God, not Isaac, not the way it's looking right now. And I'm not going to get trapped up in the first glimpses of the things coming true. Because I think we just take shortcuts. You know, I, my world is ministry, right? So I want to take shortcuts all the time in ministry. I, wanna, I want the promises to be fulfilled. And so I'm going to take shortcuts because you start to see it working. And you realize it's like, hold on. God's made me good at a couple things. That's freaky. Because are you going to give that back to him? Am I going to give back the gifts he's given me to him? And so it's been a really interesting journey for me personally. I don't know whether you can resonate with me in this, but I've had to like sometimes go, I care more about that promise and about you than I do about like my role in it, about my gifts being used in it, about the things you've given. I care more about you than the gifts you've given me. Maybe that sounds nuanced to you, but for me, it's a very stark contrast because I can worship the gifts God's given me super quick and I better be used and this better make sense, and I better not just be a bystander. I better not just be on the bench. Do you know what I'm saying? What if you're on the bench? Like, what a joy. Like, you have nothing to prove. Nothing. And I look around, like, in the city, the, what, what God's doing between churches and stuff, where all the miracles are happening is when someone goes, like, some pastor who has so much to lose and could, is so sh shackled, like I feel like I am all the time, to being good at stuff, goes, you know what? What if I get none of the credit? How about that? That's the plan. What if I get none of the credit? What about, uh, what about proving something? This one's pretty simple. You don't have anything to prove. You just don't have anything to prove. You were like, like, what, we can read the Ephesians verse again if you like, but it's like, while you're in your transgressions, I loved you there. Like, is there anything else... You can't earn it anymore. And I know that reality is hard to understand. But you have nothing to prove. And I think all that's freedom. Like lobbing this. Like here, I'll love you. I don't need any results. Here, God, I'll give you back the things that you've given me. Because not even those things can take your place. I know I have nothing left to prove. And I think that's the Christian life that he's like desperately trying to get across to us. It's like it's all done. And we make it all transactions so quick. There's a, a great C.S. Lewis quote that I want to read out, says this. <clears throat> Should be up there, yeah. Love is never wasted, for its value does not rest on reciprocity. Isn't that awesome? It's never wasted. His love, never wasted. On all of the people who have no, no, I haven't even heard of it. It's not even wasted. Could you imagine if God was writing invoices? Whew, he'd have a stack. But he's going, nope. Love, this thing that I am, I am it, <laughs> I am love. My, so another way of saying it was God's, God is never wasted because his, his himself does not depend on how we respond to it. He just is love, is it. So good. And I think that's, the, that's who he wants us to be. He's just like, yeah, you're free to just love everybody because it's not dependent on that's the kingdom that's the plan so of course jesus you know we love because he first loved us and we read that you know we've heard that a million times many of us and you're like oh freely you've been 
given. Freely you've received, so freely give. All these cliche things you get tattoos of are just so mind-blowing. And I wish, again, I wish, I, I wish it was more complicated so that it was more interesting or something. But I'm pretty sure that what Jesus wants is a relationship with you, which means he must start it with a free gift, which means we have to return it with a free gift. And then he goes, hey, I also end up loving this whole world, right? Like I love all of them. So you know what, the, you know what would be super fun? Creation, redeemed creation, is if you could do what I did for you for other people. And that actually sets you free. That sets you free. And you get to every day exemplify your freedom with what I've called you to do. And so I put the little twists on the end of the Ephesians verse that aren't twists at all. They're just completely inextricable. So I want to read, um, I want to read this, this, this little portion of a, of, a, of a book. If you were in Multiply or KLMS, you've, you've heard this before. But it's like my favorite little chunk of like fiction. And it's from this uh, book called The Velveteen Rabbit. And it's just this book about like nursery toys. And it's kind of like the origins of Toy Story, actually, where they have, they, they're, they're, in this, uh, they're in this nursery and they talk to each other about what it's like to be toys and what it's like to be loved. And it's really, really profound. So the most profound part in it, I want to read out to you. And it says this. <clears throat> Put it up there, yeah. The skin horse had lived longer in the nursery than any of the others. He was so old that his brown coat was bald in patches and showed the seams. Frick, I already know what's coming. I'm getting choked up. Frick, oh my gosh. <clears throat> oh, this is bad. Oh, this is bad. You see my voice quiver already? Oh. Okay, okay, okay. We got it, we got it, we got it. <clears throat> it's like a best man speech or something. Okay, <clears throat> he was so old that his brown coat was bald in patches and showed, <laughs> oh man, I, I did this to myself. This is my own fault. The Velveteen Rabbit quote. I knew I, ah. <clears throat> oh, I'll, I'll get there. <clears throat> and most of the hairs on his tail had been pulled out to string bead necklaces. He was wise, for he had seen a long succession of mechanical toys arrive to boast and swagger and um, day by day break their mainsprings and pass away. And he knew... Uh, that they were only toys and would never turn into anything else. For nursery magic is, a very strange and one, is very strange and wonderful, and only those playthings that are old and wise and experienced like the skin horse understand all about it. What is real? asked the rabbit one day when they were laying side by side near the nursery fender before Nana came to tidy the room. Does it mean having things that buzz inside you and a stick-out handle? Real isn't how you are made, said the skin horse. It's a thing that happens to you. When a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with, but really loves you, then you become real. <clears throat> Does it hurt? Asked the rabbit. Sometimes, said the skin horse, for he was always truthful. When you're real, you don't mind being hurt. Does it happen all at once, like being wound up, he said, or bit by bit? It doesn't happen all at once, said the skin horse. You become. It takes a long time. That's why it doesn't happen often to people who break easily or have sharp edges or, have to be, or who have to be carefully kept. Generally, by the time you're real, most of your hair has been loved off and your eyes drop out and you get loose in the joints and very shabby. But these things don't matter at all because once you're, you're real, you can't be ugly except to people who don't understand. <laughs> like, you know, I think about, I think about, you know, Jesus like on the cross and it's just, it's an ugly scene, right? 
and it's just, you, you, it's all, it's, it's the realest thing. It's the realest thing that's ever happened, and it's like available to all of us. And the only, the only way that it seems ugly is if you don't understand what it is. And I think Christians, people who follow Jesus, have a responsibility to convey the beauty of that. And we have a chance to live like that. And we have a chance to, to be ugly and to be taken advantage of and to be bald in patches. <laughs> Stay with me. So just to wrap up, I think about, I, th I, think you could, I think you could talk about the prodigal son in every sermon, but I've been struck by <clears throat> the contrast. I had this little debate the other day. I don't know whether I'm right or not, <clears throat> but we had this fun little debate about with some you know, buddies of mine who love the Bible. And, uh, we were arguing about whether the, um, the younger son who came back, you know, after being given everything by his half of the estate by his father and squandering it all, and then coming back, you know, we were having a debate about whether the young son was repentant or not. So I was on the camp of, I don't think he's repentant, we, or at least we don't know, because he just was hungry. <laughs> and he was like, well, maybe I could be a servant in my father's household. So you come groveling back, and you're like, I'm really hungry. And then, of course, before the young son even has a chance to say anything, the father goes, shh, shh, shh and kills the fattened calf. But you don't actually know if the son wants to be a son again. You know he was hungry. You know that the father lavished undeserving love on him, obviously. But you don't know whether the son's going to do it again. He might do it again. For those of you that have, have, have kids, you know how much lavish love is not a guarantee of change. And that's a hard thing to wrestle with, and it's hard not to be bitter about that. And then we have this older son who's bitter about the younger son being lavished on. And he says, I don't uh, think that's right. And to both sons, the father's like, everything I have is yours. He says it to the older son outside, so profound. And he says it to the younger son a few years earlier when he gives him everything. Everything I have is yours. And it's this cliff, and then it just, the story just ends. And it's this cliffhanger of God being like, here's everything. Now, are you going to choose to give back to me? Because I can't make you be a son. I can't make you family. I can't make you love me. I can't make the reason that you won't run away again be because you love me. I could impose rules. I could make you feel guilty. I could, I could manipulate you all. But instead, lob and then I'm here. I'm gonna meet you the whole way. And it's still a lob. And the vulnerability of God just grabs my heart and turns it upside down and goes, well, how can I not respond to that? And I do every day. Ugh. So I think, I think the invitation for giving, you know, let's give love. <clears throat> and it's kind of the climax actually really of the whole series is like, how do we, be motivated by love and out of a relationship with Jesus who paid it all for us where we're set free and our hearts are transformed to now go and do the same. 
And the reason why we called the series Relational Formation was because the only way to get there is by forming a relationship with Jesus, like a real one, not a business one, a real one. And I don't have another thing to tell you all for how to change your hearts. Lots of tips and tricks for tweaking it. Lots of tips and tricks for having better business transactions with God and with other people. But I don't have another thing to preach if we're actually talking about the kind of intimacy in the prodigal son, which I think he wants, us to, be, wants to be our father. So we have this chance uh, to just give and be ugly, maybe, to the world. And I think that's different. They'll see that it's different. And we should need payment. We should need things. I shouldn't give my truck away. We shouldn't give that away. You shouldn't take that person into your home. You shouldn't. That's bumpy. And it's ugly. And the world won't understand. And now you've got yourself the beginning of a very fun conversation. I don't get that. Yeah. Welcome to the kingdom. Because it's upside down. And I'd love to explain how that's possible. And I don't know, guys, I don't know another way of doing outreach or loving other people or even telling them about Jesus. Not that that's the whole aspect of what I'm talking about. But I don't know another way of doing that if we're not different. We have to live in this way. We have to understand how free the gift is so that we can freely give it back. Because people sniff out agendas and they sniff out mixed motives. And rightly so. And I'm glad they do. Because it forces me to look inside myself and go... Am I trusting in Jesus right now and the sufficiency of who he is? And that's the gospel. And that's why we all showed up here this morning to worship him in that way.